0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to In Touch, a masterclass in school products powered by Brain Wonders in partnership with Nature Nurture. This fourth edition of masterclass series. Will take you on a short journey of introducing you to 30 innovative school products selected from across india in this masterclass, innovative products informative content and progressive ideas are being shared with you we remain hopeful that this and forthcoming sessions will inspire you to take your school community to a new direction of development my name is namrita and i will be a moderator for today I represent India's largest counselling organisation, Brainwonders. With 108 global centres, Wonders has been revolutionising the face of academic guidance, career development and personal growth via its US patented DMIT and online psychometric test. Founded by Mr. Manish Naidu, over the past decade, Brainwonders has been nationally awarded on seven different platforms including recognition for being the most trusted and digitally innovative career counselling company. Excellence and passion is what Brainwonders strives for. And with that, let's begin today's session. Before I welcome today's speaker, I request all our audience to truly immerse themselves in the session and hold their questions which will be addressed right after the session. I present to you today's speaker, Akshal Alalwal, who is the Director of Nature Nurture. Akshay Agarwal is a young and dynamic leader who's settling into his new role at Nature Nurture. He's the director on operations and is heading the efforts to find progressive schools in the country that can work with Nature Nurture. His entrepreneurial ambition started at a very young age whilst pursuing law from the National Law University in Mumbai. It's the leading law university of the country where he secured an All India rank of 13. His interest in education developed after he was exposed to the global pedagogic practices when he attended the London School of Economics and Political Science in the United Kingdom. He also attended the Berlin School of Economics and Law in Germany. He has also researched at the University of Oxford about shaping Indian entrepreneurship in the years forward. Furthermore, he has earned a postgraduate degree, certification in branding, communication and digital marketing from mica he has spoken at several international forums and his vision for the company and country involves crossing social boundaries to ensure that the right to quality education enshrined in the article 21a of the constitution becomes a reality for all his session topic for today is transdisciplinary approach in virtual classrooms over to you mr agarwal
1: Thank you so much, uh, Namrata, for those kind words. And uh, I am truly humbled to be in the presence of a lot of great school leaders. And you know, I I can probably I can't see your faces, but I do recognize I will be one of the younger ones of the lot in the in the session today. And you know, I have as much to learn from your questions, from your inputs in this session as probably you know I can talk to you about. So while the topic of today's session, the theme that we have chosen is to talk about a transdisciplinary approach in our virtual classrooms, particularly when we are looking at the younger kindergarten classrooms. But we will see that how a transdisciplinary approach in reality can be implemented in the same way, physically or virtually, if we have all the right uh, mindsets to implement it. I'm gonna share my screen so you can get visual cues as I speak. But today, I'm going to give you a broad overview of the program, right? And these are some tips that, you know, I always share with school leaders that no matter what program you're using, no matter what curriculum you're using, these are a few essential tips that we have picked up over the years that have been, you know, extremely helpful to a lot of schools across the country. And you may, you know, for the time that you're sparing to us today, you may find some value in it, you know, regardless of what uh, curriculum program you're having. That is the aim of today's session. Right, And um, before I jump right into it, uh, I would also like to introduce that this entire program that is developed by the team of experts at Nature Nurture is developed in partnership with a lot of universities across the world. But it has been truly made special you know, in the Indian context after we have actually taken inputs from a lot of schools and you know, a lot of premium schools, a lot of progressive schools across the country. They are the ones who have really shaped our program over the years and our goal as an organization is to truly find partners who understand what a progressive curriculum could be help us improve a curriculum our curriculum and then introduce it in schools and partnerships so we are not a typical organization in terms of uh, you know what we do for other schools we don't do it on a mass market we do it on a very niche basis but then again our product heavily depends upon real time contributions from great educators such as yourself. And we would uh, greatly appreciate all inputs that you will give in the chat column as we go about. It, right? We know that today's session you know, is, is talking about transdisciplinary approach in virtual classrooms. But what is a t- transdisciplinary approach? I mean, we may have heard about interdisciplinary. We may have heard that the boundaries between subjects is getting blurred. But what is this transdisciplinary approach? And you know, and to, and to get things started I have a small activity for all of us and I know that because of the limitations of technology, we may not be able to unmute and participate, but I would definitely love for you to participate in the chat column. And you know, to make the session a lot of fun, if you step into the shoes of your little ones, as they do in their virtual classroom, it will make it much more interactive. So this is a situation of the supermarket where the educator is simulating the experience of going to the supermarket. And we are trying to brainstorm what all domains can we cover? And by domains, you can refer to them as subjects in layman terms, but in pedagogic domains, uh, pedagogic terms, what all domains can we cover when we are talking about, you know, thinking about going to the supermarket, you know, and you can all participate in the chat, but you know, the common responses that we often see is, you know, we can teach them about fruits, about vegetables, about paying, about counting, right, about science a little bit of safety, right? These are the type of responses that come in. But when we talk about a transdisciplinary approach, especially with the new education policy coming in, how can we talk about 15 to 20 domains using just this supermarket picture? So let me take you through it very quickly so that we really understand the meaning of the word transdisciplinary. If I want to cover language at the supermarket, I can say, I spy with my little eyes something beginning with milk, right? I spy a green vegetable. Tell me what it is. Numeracy. How many bananas are there in the tree? Right? And it's all about asking the right questions. Then scientific inquiry. Why is it that we keep milk in the fridge and why do we keep vegetables out there in the open? We're developing scientific inquiry. Social studies. This is how we are linking all the domains. Social studies. How are supermarkets maybe different in India than from a certain country in the West? Are supermarkets the same everywhere? Environment. You know. Is it important to consume only as much as we want? And when we are going to the supermarket, is it important to carry your own jute bags? Health and safety, and this is extremely important. When we are going to the supermarket in COVID times, do we wear a mask or we don't wear a mask? And what type of food do we buy at the supermarket? Do we buy more of milk or do we buy more of noodles? You can have noodles sometimes, but it's important to have a balanced diet. Creative development, at home, Let's role play to go to the market, you know, help mama or papa to go to the market. That's how you integrate creative development. And this one, the personal favorite of mine, gender sensitivity, you know, CBSC talks about gender sensitivity in grades eighth, ninth, but how do we talk about gender sensitivity right in our kindergarten classrooms? You know, because by the time we get to grade ninth and 10th, the gender stereotypes are already ingrained in the minds of the children. Uh, and we can't really, you know, fight through them then. It is at these stages we have to talk about domains like gender sensitivity and you can do it by asking the children, who does the food shopping, you know, in your home and because of the current system of patriarchy that we've been living in for so many years, the chances are that nine or eight out of 10 learners will say mama takes us food shopping, right? But then it is at that time we explain to the learners that it is not mama's job to take us food shopping, right? It is is how mama and papa have divided their roles just as papa goes to the office even mama can go to the office and papa can help with the household chores so we don't sort of attach gender roles to you know sort of societal functions. then we talk about self-help skills can you make a list of all the things we need to buy from the supermarket global dimension how are, how are our farms different from let's say the farms across the world and here you can bring in current affairs with the situation with the farmers across the world and design and technology we talk about design and technology right in kindergarten which is on the upper echelons of the bloom's taxonomy where you say that why is it easier to carry the trolley as opposed to the basket because it has wheels so when we talk about a transdisciplinary approach you know let alone virtual classroom A transdisciplinary approach is using any pedagogic tool as simple as a picture of a supermarket and trying to integrate as many domains as possible. Gone are the days where we used to think of subject as airtight compartments. But now is the time for experiential learning where we are truly focusing on trying to sort of link all the domains together. So with that, I welcome you to our session today, which is aptly titled, a virtual uh, you know aptly titled what it is right is a child is the curriculum but then that is the pedagogy behind the transdisciplinary approach in our virtual classroom the approach behind the entire process being child is the curriculum let's delve into it and see how it is so today's session my takeaway and i hope that you take this away at the end of this session is you take away these six steps you can see six nice colored empty circles of the pie And by the end of this session, you are probably going to take away six steps, which if you implement in your classes, whether virtual or physical, if you implement in your schools, you can make your schools learner centric. You can make them uh, pedagogy driven. So let's see what they are. And this does not matter what products you are using, what programs you are using. If you use these six steps, I think then you're on the right track because that is what in our experience, you know, you all may have different experiences. Let us see what they are. the first step is the curriculum framework before we decide what we do in the school before we even open the school we have to look at the national curriculum framework and understand what the ministry of human resources development wants from us as school leaders and what are the objectives of education as a whole and specifically school education as a whole the ncf is due for a revision in the coming years but till then first we read the NCF document for example ncf when it comes to arithmetic it says that the purpose of maths is to remove the fear of arithmetic from the minds of the children how we do it as educators is secondary but first we recognize what the curriculum framework wants us to do so it will tell us over a period of 15 years this is what we need to expect as learning outcomes in our children when they are graduating from their school and while looking at the curriculum framework we also look at policy documents like the new education policy where we keep in mind That when we are designing our learning outcomes, we have to keep them future-proof for the coming decade or so. So we are in line with what the government expects. And then we bring in our innovation. So we always start with the curriculum framework because institutions such as schools cannot exist, ignoring policy. That is where our crucial point starts. So whenever we are working with schools, that is where we understand what the management's vision is, along with the curriculum framework and some state-specific guidelines. Then we move on to the national curriculum framework, which is part of it, and the new education policy. And then we move on to clear standards. Right. Once we have a broad idea of what the framework wants us to do, then we sort of move to clear standards and defining goals for each specific school year. The framework tells us what we need across 15 years right, in the entire schooling. But then we need to bifurcate those goals by year. So in clear standards, also called learning outcome, We set the specific goals or the specific outcomes that the child will achieve at the end of the 365th day of each academic year. So when we talk about our learning outcomes, we don't start with the books. We don't start with the buildings. We don't start with anything else. We first start with what our goals should be. Otherwise, it is like getting into a car and starting to drive without a destination in mind. You may buy the most expensive car, you may buy the most expensive GPS, but till you know where you have to reach, those expensive gadgets won't help you. So step two, we design the learning outcomes for the school for the entire year. So in designing these learning outcomes, they will not just include your reading, writing and counting, but they will also include 21st century skills of emotional development, scientific thinking, cognitive development, design and technology, ICT and coding, all become part of your learning outcomes when our learning outcomes are sorted you know we can talk about all of these different domains you know health and safety physical development which we just discussed as part of the picture board activity they will become part of our learning outcomes we design the learning outcomes for each school that will become the bedrock of what we have to do in the, each year so when we are designing these learning outcomes it brings me back to what i was saying earlier we modify the learning outcomes as per each school's unique needs you know we see that we, we say that you know no learner is unique and you know no size fits all, one size does not fit all. We say that commonly in education, and at Nature Nurture, we believe that no no school can be unique. Because if the learners in each school isn't aren't unique, how can a school be unique? Right? So keeping this in mind, the learning outcomes that we design for each school are truly unique to those schools. 80 to 85 percent of it will be board-driven, will be pedagogy driven, but then we give this freedom to the school in step two to customize exactly what their children will achieve throughout the year. And we have developed a lot of post-COVID learning outcomes because now the children, when they come back to school, you know, it is a big if they will come back to school for the coming, coming academic year. But when they come back to school, they will face a lot of psychological issues. You know, They will have not met with people, you know, who aren't yet their family members. They would be so used to interactions over Zoom or interactions over Google that they will find difficult to adapt back to what we used to call the new normal, you know, for them, it is the new normal. The old normal for them will become the new normal nursery educated. The learners have never been to school. So during this transition time, we have developed post COVID learning outcomes. For example, where we help learners manage their screen time at home, manage physical time, physical activity, right at home, you know, because we aren't able to monitor all of that, manage their digital safety at home, learn rules to stay safe online. So these become part of our post-COVID learning outcomes. Right. And with that sorted, once we know exactly what we want to do in terms of learning outcomes for each year, right, then we move ahead to materials and resources. You know, we looked at the curriculum framework. We looked at what goals we want to achieve for each class. We we, we created it, then we went to materials and resources. You know, most schools, you know, I, I'm not sure about how you look at your pedagogy process, but what I have observed over the years, most schools, they start from the material and resources. When they talk about the program, they may start with a, with publisher books and, you know, then sort of create their syllabus based on the content of the books or they may start with the resources. But really the materials that you need have to be based on the outcomes you want to achieve. Right. So the materials and resources are then designed as per the learning outcomes we select in step number two. So these materials and resources that we are having, they will be divided across your learners, parents, or schools, as may be the case, right? All schools may be do it, doing it differently. But then again, whatever material we are using, we are using this with the object that it is fulfilling our learning outcomes that we you know, satisfied in step two. So in many cases, when we are customizing learning outcomes for the schools, we will have to customize their material as well, right? How does this link to a virtual classroom? We will discuss in an interesting way shortly. So we begin with the transition program and more so in your cases, especially because the learners are not going to come to school for a long, long time, right? And when they come to school, they will face a difficult time to transition to school and they may not know what school actually is, right? They may have forgotten what schools look like, so therefore it becomes important to transition them into the school process right and this is something that you can look at for the coming academic year also when your learners are going to maybe join another year of online classes or physical classes where before the session begins around 15 days in advance you begin preparing them with what the schools are you know are usually like physically and what they are virtually so this is a sneak peek transition program that we develop and do with our first time learners where we compare with them that, you know, earlier we used to attend school physically, but now we attend school virtually. So it becomes easy for the children to transition. You know, earlier we used to get ready for school by packing our bags, but now we get ready for school by, you know, charging our computers and laptops. Right? Earlier I used to go to the school bus, and now I go to the school using my Wi-Fi and my computer. Right? Earlier when I used to reach school, my teacher used to say hello to me. But here I just click on a button, but the same teacher says hello to me. I settle down in the same way I would have settled down in my actual classroom, but the only difference is I don't wear a mask because I'm at home. Right. And my educator greets me in the the school, but here my educator is going to greet me along with all of my other friends within the virtual classroom, right? And so on and so forth. So we begin not just by going into the subject matter itself, we transition the learners into what the school environment is going to be, right? So it becomes very important to note that when we are talking about, you know, even the WHO recommended units uh, uh, limits, for example, for the nursery or the younger most to three-year-old learners, they say not more than 45 to 60 minutes of screen time, grade one and two, not more than, you know, one and a half hours of screen time. But then to make the most of those 90 minutes, you know, when the child is joining in the first minute, they need to be ready with what to expect. So therefore, if the parents have kept them aware about the process and that is where it becomes crucial to make, a parent, make the parent an active stakeholder, is that when we conduct these transition programs for the parents, they become much more comfortable as to how do they take the children to this process. And while, while the learners are and the parents are preparing for this transition process, the educators themselves are preparing for this process by getting more familiar with technology, so on and so forth. And interestingly, you know, because you know, when we are talking about integration and most stories that we are using in our books, most stories that we are using in literature happen to be from a completely different world order. You know, children can barely relate to playing outdoors with masks. We have created a lot of post COVID stories where we have given backgrounds to what the learners did in lockdown, you know, what side of personalities, what sort of challenges they faced in lockdown, and then they are coming back together to school. So, what are the sort of things that happened in the lockdown helping their address, learners address it, hands on, you know, bang on? So, with the coming academic year, it becomes very difficult, you know, important to use tools such as post COVID stories so children can normalize this post COVID world, you know, and become very difficult. And what we do to make the most of the 60 to 90 minutes that we have with the learners when we have each unit that is beginning, right? And this is something that you can do on your own also within your meetings, whenever each unit is beginning, whenever each session is beginning, you keep the parents informed about what the next 20 days are going to look like, what the next 30 days are going to look like by sending them introductory letters and information that over the next 20 days, you're going to cover about our body parts, about head to toe in our classroom. This is how you can keep them engaged at home. You know, because the common question that parents ask your child ch- you know the child when they come back from school or after their virtual class ends is what did you do in school today you know how was your school day child would say good and that's the end of that conversation but with these introductory letters when the parent knows that we are talking about head to toe in the classroom the parent will be informed by us or you know by the school the child you should question the child about what did you learn about your ears today how many sense organs do we have the child is being able to sustain conversations because the parent knows what to ask them in the questions. right? And then in fact, books, when we come about books, you may be using all sorts of different books in the classrooms. right? It becomes very, very critical that we ensure that whatever resources you are using in the classroom, the educators have been prepared with them in advance, but that usually helps to also communicate about the exact lesson plans to the parents in the virtual scenario. So our books, you know, and many of you may be having similar patterns, but it is a good practice what we do in our program. I will give you a sneak peek at the bottom of each page in our book. We have a small, uh, small thing which is mentioned, which is called Dear Educator, right? So when we have purposely kept this terminology as educator because at the bottom of the lessons, you know, we have ensured that at home, the parent is the educator and at home and in school, the, ed- the educator is the educator. So after the classes are over, whenever the parent is opening a book, they know what instructions to follow right at the bottom of the page. So they can also do these things with them in, a, in real time at home, because we were facing you know, problems with regard to connections, with problems with regard to you know, internet in, in our online classes. So when the parents know exactly what the lesson plans are, and when they open the books, they will have some sort of guidance at the end of the pages so even if your books and your content does not have something like this at the bottom of the pages it is always a good idea along with the lesson plans you know along with the timetable to share a small note you know how is it that you can make it interactive for the children so this is something that you know we have been doing pre-pandemic also but then we have realized that post-pandemic parents have truly recognized the value of this and you can incorporate this as well right and when we talk about global dimension within our virtual classroom, the way I was trying to connect it earlier, while may not, I, while you know, all of our learners may not have the means to travel abroad, but in all classrooms we usually had, you know, some learner who would spend a vacation abroad. We'll come to the classroom. They will share amongst them their, each other their experiences. We'll use and talk about all sorts of different countries across the world. But then travel is going to be a no-no right for the foreseeable future so talking about what's happening in the world and global dimension becomes an important part therefore we have a lot of workshops that we integrate within the program about the global dimension right just to give you an idea of it right and usually what we do is and this is a best practices that the schools can also adapt that sometimes not all educators are equally comfortable in presenting right some of them would be better in english better in language than the others so the educators can take turns and record videos of particular lesson plans and the educators can then display those videos in the sessions along with the other content to ensure that the best educator who is doing that concept, particularly the best, can be on screen and the learners can, uh, can see that particular educator. And in fact, these videos can be shared with the parents at home also. So, for instance, a lot of our schools have done this across the country that if they have, let's say, seven to eight lesson plans across the five days and they have eight educators. So they would give one lesson plan to each educator who would repeatedly practice, who would repeatedly do these things again and again and then create videos and then they will all share it with one another. So they have eight beautiful lesson plans that they are using videos to share. So any school that takes our program, we give these pre-recorded videos. But then as a general suggestion, any school who is doing a sort of virtual classroom, you can take advantage of these, you know, sharing of resources and you can use these as well, right? Okay, moving ahead with the software, we also recommend that whenever we are conducting virtual classrooms, the educators must have some sort of background behind them, right? If you look behind me, There are some sort of intriguing domains that I have displayed behind myself because I'm not an educator. I want to intrigue you about the domains I'll be covering. But similarly, if the educator makes a virtual wall behind themselves, which may be physically putting up some letter cards, number cards, all of these behind the educator. So it gives the sense of school to the learner. So that gives them the ability to actually see what the educator would have been like in school. So that is how we actually adapt our school model, our online class to look more like a normal school where you ask the educators to sit in front of a dedicated wall covered with educational links. Right? On the other hand, the learners at home can also make a dedicated spot within their homes where they can join the class again and again from that spot and they can have a physical wall behind them where they can put up the work for what they are doing on a daily basis. Right? And then do not forget to mention that a lot of festivals happen at home and now usually we used to have breaks for festivals like diwali used to be a break christmas used to be a break but then you know encouraging them to participate in these festivals with their home and family members which we can do over online mediums that really gets the ball going you give them some activities that you know light up a fire with the help of your parents on loading and share videos in the online classroom these kind of things can you know really get the game going right and with that we come to step four of six would become instruction right so we had the framework in mind we had the standards in mind we had the materials but then comes the most critical part of instruction how is it that our educators are can be used uh, you know how is it that our educators are going to use all these resources you know it becomes a difficult difficult task when we are struggling with the educators so it becomes equally essential that we are able to communicate all these tools to our educators because ultimately we can have the best content, we can have the best resources, but ultimately it's the educator who is going to transact the pedagogy in the classroom. So how does instruction work? And well, I would say that, you know, the, the first three steps, a lot of organizations, a lot of organizations are doing wonderfully in the first three steps, but it's really the fourth step where as school leaders, you need to step in and where the magic and the difference really happens. So what we have developed, and this is something that you can also do in your own schools, we have created virtual weekly schedule maps where we give the schools a sort of virtual timetable which does not just correspond to the domains but has something much more. And I will give you a sneak peek into how one of our virtual plans looks, making it, the, it easier for the educators. Right. So whatever the way we want to organize our day, If you want to begin with personal, social, emotional development, then circle time, then cognitive development, a little COVID education, physical development, some self-help skills, so on and so forth. We give the educators a plan with all the digital resources they need in the plan within this. So when you are creating plans for your educators, whatever resources they will need, you know, maybe to present some video, use some book, use some activity, you mention the links right there so what this has done is the educator just needs to open up their virtual weekly plan and they will be able to access whatever resources they need to do for example if they want to begin the day with the hello song and that's how we begin and we keep changing the links so they can just simply click on this link right when they click on this link and a, a tab opens where they can play the hello song for instance so we have many animations many videos and the internet is littered with this content right but then giving it in an easily planned manner to the learners makes it much much more easier for the educators and they can spend the saturday before the upcoming week rehearsing this plan with one another right and with this virtual plan what we have recognized is that educators spend little less time in actually you know planning because even though this is a very fairly exhaustive process with our efforts in schools that are taking our program or with the effort of the school leaders in such schools such as yourself, that you can help them to be really simplify this process and spend time actually practicing their lesson plans. Right. And when we talk about lesson plans, you know, we usually make it a good practice that we give lesson manuals for every single day. So for example, if we had a certain lesson plans that we have to cover in the WSM, all of them are represented in a big manual. But when they know which specific lesson plan to do within that specific weekly plan, they know that when they open their educator's manual, what wh- which, which lesson plan do they actually open. So the lesson, uh, the educator's manual is nothing but a compilation of all lesson plans. And I'm sure you may have something on these lines where you document all your pedagogic processes. We keep a track of all these uh, programs right here and the uh, educator can just simply jump to lesson plan, whichever was mentioned in the weekly plan, and then prepare for it on the Saturday before. Right. So it is interesting to note. Then when we are preparing lesson plans, it's important to factor in all pedagogies, right? Not just let's say Bloom's, not just Vygotsky, not just Erickson, not just Howard Gardner. We try to factor in all pedagogies because we have many learning styles. And if you look at the bottom of each lesson plan we say that you have to focus on different learning styles you have to focus on all different learning levels of the bloom's taxonomy and you also have to connect it to stream right stream is something that you may have seen at the beginning of the video where we have as a response to the pandemic and as response to the new education policy we have added an r which is reading and writing to the STEAM approach. You know, this is something that our team has done in partnership with Oxford University, where, as response to the problems of foundational numeracy and literacy, we have adapted the STEAM program to a stream. You know, these are things that probably we can discuss in the question and answer or later on. But just to give you an idea, this is how we planned the lesson plans. So, you know, even though we will give the educators the list of the lesson plans at the beginning of the year, and you must be giving it to them on a similar basis. But till you mention the specific lesson plans within the weekly plan, you know, when you mention that which lesson plan you have to use, you know, the error refers to the educator reference activity, you have highlighted it within the weekly plan, then they can open the manual and then they know which plan to look for. So it becomes very difficult to get the teachers to do it on their own. But we have recognized that when we are creating great weekly plans for them, they are able to easily implement them in their classrooms, right? And then the augmentation program, you know, and as the pandemic started, I, for one, was always a strong believer that online training is not effective. Online training is all an eyewash. but because we were forced to do it, you know, in the heights of the pandemic, there were a lot of schools who helped with the technology, who empowered that their educators can join, you know, even from their homes. But we saw that educators with the right direction, our virtual augmentation sessions could be as effective as our physical augmentation so my advice to all of you is going to be that even though it's a physical setting your educators may still be coming to school but do not understate the value of continuous professional development especially in the pandemic because now that training is not just pedagogic it is also technological right so that is what we focus on and usually we also used to conduct a lot of parenting sessions at the beginning of the year throughout the year to explain to the parents you know as part of our program how they can be equal stakeholders or how they can be equal participants in their child's learning but now with the pandemic their partnership is probably at the forefront so we conduct a lot of virtual parenting sessions for them as well you know where we talk about not just what the school is doing but we also talk about what they can do as part of this schooling process and do not just talk about schools, talk about good parenting tips, talk about maybe your own children in those sessions to make the parents feel comfortable and they will truly appreciate what the school is doing for them. And, you know, somebody mentioned earlier, what sort of pedagogies are we using, you know, in the chat. But remember that many schools, they will say that we are a Montessori school or we are an Reggio school or we are a Harvard Gardner school. But because of the different learning styles that, you know, learners have, we cannot limit our understanding of pedagogy to anyone, right? We have to keep a broad view. So we have close to 90 to 100 pedagogies. The latest one being the visible thinking routines, right? The schools that visible thinking routines have been developed by Howard University. So our founder director, she's one of the pioneers at research at Howard and we have sort of indianized these visible thinking routines and brought them to the classroom so where we'll have blooms where we'll have vygotsky where we'll have reggio emilia where we'll have visible thinking you know a flipped classroom so on and so forth so we we keep a broad approach like that so you know even though we don't mention these pedagogies to educators because we have you know, seen that they are not as keen to know about them as, as maybe you as school leaders are, but then we are always welcome to answer anytime an educator asks us. And similarly, when they will ask you that why have you created this lesson plan? What's the pedagogy? Always give them the rationale that this is the learning method which is behind it. And you know, coding has also become an important part of our program probably you can watch this video on your own time It's on, you know, on our online platforms. And what my advice to us, you know, to uh, to schools has been in these troubled times where we are having, you know, all sorts of companies advertising about coding, what should our position as a school leader be? So, you know, we can say, and this is an advice that a lot of my schools are following. We say that we don't know whether coding is the path to, if, you know, for your child to be a millionaire. We don't know if we will guarantee a job at Google as they speak, but we say, that coding is essential for logic smartness of the children. Coding is essential for you know sequencing, for patterning, for mathematical ability. So it is one of the many learning outcomes that we will cover in our school. So therefore it is just as important or maybe as less important as the other outcomes. You don't overemphasize coding, but then whatever bare minimum effort is, there are a lot of open source platforms that you can use. Even if you're not using our program, a lot of open source platforms are available online which you can use to incorporate coding within your school right so this is what our position officially as a school is uh, as a as an education organization is that we have made made it part of our instruction but you know with an adequate amount of focus and then finally we come to step 5 right step 5 is fair assessments where you know we have done all these steps how do we know whether it works does it work does it not work so when we talk about assessments we ask you to take a very broad approach, you know, sometimes we limit our understanding of assessments to maybe only the assessment of the learners, but when we assess the school and when you as school leaders will assess your own schools, talk about assessment from the systemic point of view, from the educators point of view, from the parents and from the learners. And how do we do that? So first at Nature Nurture, we conduct an assessment of the system which is sort of an audit of the school where we give you a, a list of observations that we have in our experience gathered from what other schools are doing, what are the best practices that you can as management implement to make your schools get better. Then we have observations and audits that we do for each educator, you know, of 30 to 40 parameters based on whatever we taught them in their training, how far are they using them in their classrooms, right? Then we conduct a lot of activity theme assemblies or, you know, sort of special assemblies where we are, you know, getting the parents to participate, make their learners participate and participate along with the learner, you know, just to gauge. We don't say how well the parents are participating. We don't comment on their ability, but we just get the parents to participate. Right. So we train you how to use these theme assemblies since our program is thematic based. You must be having your own uh, assembly. So you use them to just to check how, how well the parents are participating in the entire process. And finally, you have assessment of the learner. So with the new education policy coming in, so we talk about assessment of learning and we talk about assessment for learning. So assessment of learning is typically your summative assessments, that the, the typical term and the assessment for learning. Though these are broader terms, but just for a colloquially speaking, assessment for learning is your formative assessment. Assessment of learning is your summative assessment. So we give the schools both of these assessments, which you can develop. But remember, While creating your assessments refer exactly to the learning outcomes of step two. So you are going ahead and assessing only what you set out to achieve because there is a huge gap sometimes in schools that this is what we taught, this is what we want to assess. We don't want to assess the matter. We don't want to assess the content. We want to assess the learning outcomes we sought to choose, right? So now in an online scenario, I'm sure most of you may be conducting your online assessment and this is a... The service that we've also given to all, all of our schools that they can conduct this assessments online in an easy and hassle-free manner and finally based on that we prepare the progress and performance profile of each learner how they did in their formative assessment and summative assessment bringing us to the step six which is the final step of the pie intervention that where we see based on the assessment if the management is and, you know can do some things differently, if the educators can pick up, or if sometimes the learners can pick up, we step up and create plans and intervene there. So what we have seen from our research that when it comes to particularly the learners, around 70 to 80 percent of learners who are differently abled, maybe dyslexic, dysgraphia, autistic, a lot of that can be identified at early stages within the classroom. So we empower the educators to look at you know these sort of you know, diagnostics, and once we identify those learners, In light of the Right to Education Act's mandate of inclusive education, we work with regional psychologists. We conduct psychometric analysis of the learners, and then we create individualized educational plans for those learners who may be differently able. So for those learners, the learning outcomes that we set in step two will be slightly modified. But then again, the main part being that we keep them within the main school system. We don't get them to a special school, and that has to be part of the system. So curriculum framework, clear standards, materials and resources, instruction, assessment, and intervention. That is what makes a complete school system. So we have, over our experience, developed a lot of systems for schools. We have customized it for a lot of schools across the country. But then again, for you, you know, what I would recommend is that even if you are doing it on your own, in your schools, you will make sure that you are keeping in mind all of these different steps. It is going to really help. you, Right. And you know, Initially, there used to be a lot of skepticism in the bigger schools that, you know, we are following a certain pedagogy. But then what we have recognized that this is a system that is working across the country, right? You know, be it Jammu and Kashmir, the cold winters, or we are working in the in, in some rural towns in Coimbatore. It's working across the country. So be it the bigger schools that we are aware of, the Lotus Valleys or the Glendales, or, you know, even some smaller schools or more known names like the DPSs. So we have created programs for all of them. And they have recognized the value in this approach. And, you know, probably using these six steps approach, probably whether you do it with us or you do it on your own, I, I hope that you see the value in this and that you see curriculum more than just as books, whether in a virtual classroom or in a physical classroom, you see it more than books. And probably then you'll be able to create a holistic learning system in your school. So it was a pleasure uh, giving you my two cents. And I I, I was seeing a few comments in the chat it was great to also get you a little bit of interactions. but then any questions that you have i'll be happy to answer i hope i'm within the time limit and i'm within the allotted time Namrata, is that right and probably now any question that you would have i would be really helpful uh, it would be you know it would be a good opportunity for me to get your thoughts also on it and if any questions you have i'd be you know really really happy to answer
0: thank you so much Akshay. uh so yes we would now open the platform to all our participants you can use a chat box you can use the activities button and you can also raise your hand and ask the questions it was definitely a very engaging session for all of us i think you brought out a uh, very nice parallels between how what nature nurture does and what the concept of mi uh, multiple intelligences and i think that is something that all the educators do understand in theory but i think you helped us understand the a very simple yet effective way of practically applying it so thank you for that all right especially something that is needed in the virtual uh you know situations today because the moment we talk about virtual a lot of people think about okay you know this medium is not there that resource is not there this live interaction is not possible then what do we do so thank you for that we have a first question of the evening from dr was asking, do you offer any internships in your organizations for pupil teachers?
1: Yes, we do. So usually we used to offer in-person internships, but now because of the pandemic, we are having offering you know some opportunities to understand what we are doing by via working from home. But yes, that is always a possibility, you know, because ultimately that is what our founder director believes. That she believes that there can never be enough quality education providers, whether schools or you know good organizations. So we want to spread the word as much as possible so we do have an internship program where you know there is a little bit of a selection process but then we do have you know that process also within the organization
0: thank you so much uh Uday has raised her hand so uh would you like to unmute yourself and present the question I repeat, Sandhya Uday has raised the hand, so would you like to unmute yourself and present the question ma'am? Uh, Sandhya, we can't hear you. We can take in more questions if there are any. Yes, so... uh Sandhya, you can also uh, put forward the question in the chat box in case you do not want to present it face-to-face. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Anubhaj is asking for your mail address. so I that shared
1: the organizational address. So, yes, so any communication, you can always you write to for, yeah, yes. ask, ask at naturenurture.in.
0: Yes. For the reference of everybody in the participants, uh, Mr. Um, Agarwal has posted the email address in the chat box. I'll read it out also for everybody's convenience. That is ask at nature nurture.in. A S K at nature nurture.in. Thank you so much. All right. So, Dr. Yogita Sarwal is saying that it's a very great blend of all the approaches. Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. It has been made possible with the real time inputs. With a lot of uh, educators such as yourself and thank you so much for participating in
0: today's session amazing all right so we do have time for fun, some final questions in case anybody would like to take it ahead
1: so i think um, dr sarwal is asking us that is there a plan to take it to the higher level yes, yes.
0: yes. so yes, I'll yes. yes there is everybody it is, Dr. Sarwal is asking, is there a plan of getting it to a higher level or to higher classes? So yes, uh, sorry to interrupt, sir, you were saying.
1: Yeah. so we do have the program up till grade 8 for the time mm-hmm. being. But for the schools who are taking our program up till grade 8, we do mm-hmm. offer them a lot of pedagogic support from nine to 12th based upon whatever board they are following. Because we have a lot of flexibility to play with the curriculum in the younger classes, but then in the senior classes, a lot of board requirements come in. So we help the schools customize the program and develop a lot of things based upon whatever the board is expecting them to do. Right? All
0: right. Okay. Uh, All right. And is it available for waiting streams as well, sir?
1: yes so we currently are working with cbsc we are working working with the icsc we're working with ib we're working with igcsc in the lower schools and when it comes to 11th and 12th we are working with icsc and cbsc across commerce science and art
0: streams all right thank you so much with that uh, i think we can bring our session today to a close Thank you so much Mr. Agrawal for being a part of today's session. It was definitely a very, uh, a very, uh, how does it, it had a lot of flavors if I could put it like that. It was definitely a, a, a session which helped us understand a lot of aspects which presented us a challenge to think on a lot of aspects. And there were so many things. I mean actually when you took the word transdisciplinary, you know, I think you justified it completely very well through uh, through your session today. And for that we are quite grateful. I would also like to thank our participants today for being such an active and encouraging crowd.
1: Thank you so much, everyone. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: All right, everyone. We'll see you again tomorrow at 5 o'clock.